picking up from when we left off last week, we ended up talking about the concept of tzaddik and what that means in a person's life, the value of connecting with people who are tzaddikim. Not only that, the value of connecting to the tzaddik within ourselves. Divine soul within a person is what we call the tzaddik within the person because everything that is in the external world is also something that is present within our internal world. So in the larger picture, in the larger cosmos, there's the tzaddik as a person, whereas in the internal world, there's a part of me that's the tzaddik and that's the part of me that I need to get in touch with in order to nourish the other aspects of my being and my personality. And the tzaddik within a person is the divine soul. And when a person gets in touch with their divine soul, they experience the flow of energy throughout their body and they're no longer in a stuck state. Now, a stuck state is when we're stuck in our story and we're stuck in our fears and we're stuck in our separateness consciousness. We're looking at the world through, what is this person thinking of me? I have an external locus of evaluation. And instead of me authentically getting in touch with my truth and assessing what is my value system, what is right for me and how do I want to express myself in this given situation and what's my responsibility and what's their responsibility and where do my boundaries end and where do theirs begin and making choices from a place of this is right for me, that, that's divine soul consciousness whereas animal soul consciousness is it doesn't matter about me, I'm not even in the picture. It's what do I need to do in order to be safe right now? And that includes to have favor in the eyes of others, to make sure that I'm seen in a particular way. Anything painful that we experience in our life doesn't mean I'm bad. It's actually just a form of hidden good, which means our egos do not understand how it's good for us because it's God expressing a part of himself that's beyond the capacity for the mental conscious mind or the separateness consciousness to understand the value of it because it's just beyond us. It's more intimately connected with the essence of God, which is beyond our understanding. So we don't understand it, but it doesn't mean it's not good. If we understand that when we're going through it and we experience it with an open heart, which means we acknowledge our pain and we acknowledge our grief in going through the situation. And at the same time, I'm, I'm feeling my pain in a state of regulation because I understand that this is not dangerous. I'm not going to become invisible and worthless and unseen and helpless. I'm just going through a really painful thing right now. And that hurts and I can hold and make space for myself. But I know that God is carrying me through this. That shift in the paradigm inside of a person is what causes there to be an, an effect in the physical world where a person will come to understand how this is actually revealed good after all. So there's a process that we go through. A lot of times in life, we go through what we experience to be very, very narrow corridors of very, very tight places. In those places, we're invited to relax and experience and look around and not to go into space of panic where we shut down and we just instinctively respond to keep ourselves safe, but not in line with who we are and our value system in an authentic way at all. We just like say what we think we need to say and do what we think we need to do to keep ourselves safe, but really we weren't in danger at all all along. I'm just wondering about yeah. like davening for the animal soul, not the authentic part. Like yeah. sometimes you daven for things that are materialistic yeah. or things yeah. like that. That's yeah. totally feeding the animal soul. Material things can be for the divine soul too. When a person's living in the world through the divine soul consciousness or the animal soul consciousness, it doesn't actually look anything different. Most of the time, practically speaking, it's a difference in my intention and my perspective. So for example, I can have a beautiful house. I can live in an abundant, expanded space. The question is, am I praying for the house so that my neighbors will think that I have value? Or is the house 
because I want to feel expanded and I want to feel my life force energy flow through me so that I can just express myself more authentically in the world. So I can be more me, more authentically me. And the me inside of everybody is just a loving, expanding, joyful, open being, which just brings so much love and power into the world. Those people who express that part of themselves, people are drawn to them because this is what we're all looking for. Now, if someone says, I want a house, because I want the respect. I want to feel like I'm somebody. I don't want to feel invisible. Why do you feel you need to feel like you're somebody? Because I ultimately, underneath the surface, I do feel worthless and I do feel like I'm not fully valued as a human being for the essence of who I am. And therefore, I'm thinking that the house in and of itself is the thing I want. But the truth is, is what you want is to feel your authentic self, to feel your true value. I want to feel connected to people, to be a channel for infinite energy of joy and life and love and expansion. And... If I can do that, I can do that anywhere. But ultimately, I can do that more and more effectively when I have all my physical needs taken care of, right? So if my goal is to be able to authentically express myself, I'm more able to do that when I'm physically more taken care of. So if I don't have to stress about money, I'm able to express myself more authentically in the world. So I can, same thing, I'm asking for money or I'm asking for abundance. But one is just so that I have more value in the eyes of others and one is so that I can more authentically express myself. This is the difference. It's the same thing at the end that we're asking for. It's just the question of where my mindset is and where my heart is. Every single step in our life is another opportunity to expand capacity for being authentic. So any situation I find myself in, I have the choice of am I using this as something to hide behind or am I using this as something to express myself through? You can question yourself deeper. What is it about this that I want? And if you are curious and open when you go into your body and notice this desire, what is it about this that I want? And you ask yourself that question just in open, curious ways. You hear responses. You hear your subconscious say, I want it because, I want it because. And you ask another question, well, what is it about that that you want? Mm. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the divine soul and the animal soul just want the same thing. This is what's very interesting about them. Okay. That ultimately what they want is connection. And to feel like and experience themselves to be a part of something greater than themselves. Yeah. The animal soul will say, I want my house to be clean so that I can feel inner peace. The, the divine soul will say also, I want it to be clean so I can experience inner peace. Well, the problem I, is, is yeah. that when it's not clean. <laughs> right. So then the, when the animal soul doesn't experience it not being clean, what happens is, is that everything else, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my husband, everything that's going on in my life, it's you don't matter as long as my house is not clean so the divine soul consciousness is i want to feel inner peace let me feel inner peace right now mm -hmm. right now in this moment in this mess in this place let's integrate the yeah. fear of mess by sitting in the mess and just relaxing into the mess and recognizing that i can feel inner peace here too i just prefer it to be tidier but like if it happens to be a mess my relationship with my children is more important than cleaning up this mess yeah. But that's a regulated state of perceiving things. Yeah. In a dysregulated state, I actually feel like the mess is a danger to me. Yeah. At the end of the day, your house is going to be cleaned. Yeah. The, the question is, how are you going to clean it? In a dysregulated way or in a regulated way? That's the bottom line. Yeah. So it's, this is the choice that we have in any given moment. The end result will probably end up looking the same, but the choice is the path I take yeah. to go there. And it's so much nicer to go through it in a regulated state. At the end of the day kids will make a mess and you can fight it you could be at peace right. with it yeah the recognition that this is a process of growth for my children to learn how to keep their space tidy and organized and it's a process of growth for me on how to let go 
of being so rigid and becoming more flexible in my life and being able to see everything as an opportunity for growth. This is an opportunity to expand my capacity for something rather than the experience of shutting it down and controlling it and putting it away. I can have resentment or I can have an opportunity to expand and grow the inner process behind them. I chose resentment so many times and it's not the nice way. Resentment doesn't feel good for you. It doesn't feel good for anybody else. So then why do we choose it? Because it's safe. It's the easier way. It's safe and it's... It's not really easy. We choose resentment because it's validating. Yeah. We choose resentment because it feels self-validating. That experience of feeling this righteousness, I am right is a self-validating feeling. Now, it is true that you did have a point and you are right in a certain aspect of it. But the thing is, is that it's also not black and white, right and wrong. The animal soul is the fear-based, instinctive response to things. And divine soul is where we have conscious choice for able to actually see a bigger picture and integrate something. Holding the vision that everything is a unified field of energy. Everything is Hashem. So everything is an opportunity for growth. Nothing is bad. Nothing needs to be fragmented and cut off. So and is put the it, animal soul just emotions and the godly soul doesn't have emotions? No, the animal soul begins as chaotic emotions, as in they're not connected with a logical thought process, but they then become a logical thought process. There's a way of thinking logically that is animal soul thinking, and there's a way of divine soul thinking. There's a way of feeling that's animal soul, there's a way of feeling that's, that's divine soul now, the thing is, is the animal soul primarily expresses itself in the heart, and then that information travels to the mind to think about it, whereas the divine soul primarily expresses itself in the brain, and then it travels down to the heart. So there's bottom up and top down. So the animal soul begins with an instinctive feeling or an emotion, either I feel fear or I feel I want something. Let's say I want a house for for status reasons. Then what happens is the logical thinking brain starts to think about how am I going to get the house. The thought process then follows from the instinct. That is animal soul thinking. The divine soul starts with a a regulated space, a prefrontal cortex. Today in in chapter three, we're going to learn about the structure of the soul. So let's let's begin from the beginning and we'll answer the questions. But before we get there, at the end of chapter two, it talks about the fact that God decides which soul comes down to which family, to which place. In the Zohar, it says that the parent has an impact on what kind of child they conceive during conception. If the couple are in a state of connection with each other and they're also um, keeping Tarasama Shpacha, what happens is, is that they give over a certain filter to the child, a garment for the soul, which is an interface where the child expresses their soul through in the world. The soul is chosen anyway. Okay. And then what the parent does add to the child mm-hmm. is this filter around the soul. Okay. And it informs the spiritual sensitivity of the child. Basically, the, the parents create the body and this garment. So a fetus in utero is completely aligned with a mother's nervous system. What a mother fears, the baby fears. If the mother knows the world to be a safe and beautiful place, so does the baby. These filters are the glasses that one looks at the world through from the beginning. How spiritually sensitive or aligned with truth one is how much tolerance a person has for hypocrisy, how open one is to receiving goodness in one's life, how open or blocked one is to spiritual concepts. This is the garment or the filter that the child receives from the parent. The child aligns with the parents and inherits their filters. Yet the soul itself is chosen by God. Each soul is put in exactly the family and body that it needs to be in to accomplish what it comes to the world to do. That's how it's possible that a soul of a tzaddik is born to a simple person and vice versa. Mm. 
And what if the parents were struggling with their own darkness during the time of conception? Does this mean that the child is doomed to live with a filter that reflects this forever? This is a question that a lot of people ask when I teach this point because a lot of parent guilt can come from hearing something like this. Whatever in a work a parent does mentally, emotionally or spiritually, even after the child is born, directly impacts the garments of the child's soul. The effect is instant, even years later. For this reason, the Lubavitcher Rebbe encouraged women who became observant after going through menopause to still go to the mikvah just one time. Teshuvah, which literally means returning, going within to reconnect with the pre-story part of oneself and aligning with it through right action retroactively heals as if it never happened in the first place. Mm-hmm. So when you work on your relationship, even if when you conceived a child, your relationship was on the rocks, you retroactively heal it. It can all be retroactively healed if the mother does her own work on trauma, and then shifts her relationship with the child. You see this, for example, in programs like Avi Fischoff's programs where you have kids who are literally raised in, in trauma, but if a parent then goes on and learns, let's say, Avi Fischoff's program and then changes the way they're parenting, they can really help the child to heal, much more than a child who moves away from their parents. My parents are never going to heal. I'm just going to do this journey on my own. They can heal, but it will be like walking through life with a backpack of rocks on your shoulders. But if your parent comes along as they do inner work and they shift and change and they're willing to fully accept you as you are and they're willing to help you to heal, it goes much quicker and much smoother and but much easier. healing has to do with the divine soul. Healing has to do with the divine soul. When someone's doing inner work and yeah. they're healing, that's, yeah. has, that is the, the authentic soul that is the divine soul the healing part you're getting in touch with them you're getting in touch basically basically the animal soul consciousness is a load of fragmented parts all different perspectives and opinions pulling a person in different directions when i bring my divine soul consciousness into it so i bring my das into the picture and i use it to first of all connect to all the different parts of myself with compassion and understanding and connect to them i start to have influence over them and that is process of knitting together my internal world and knitting together my internal world as to how I create integration and wholeness within myself and when I'm in a state of inner peace and wholeness within myself I'm no longer blocked by by what we call klipa like the shell which is all the fragmented and chaotic story and I actually have more more ability to hear the authentic voice inside of my heart and get more in touch with my own intuition and my own authenticity and who I am and be able to express that in the world and that's when my divine soul becomes a, a part of my conscious personality it's no longer squashed it becomes a part of how i express myself in the world and it doesn't mean i'll always express myself that way i may become triggered and fall back and then i have an opportunity to get curious oh wow what happened and i have the capacity to become accountable own up and say i'm sorry i messed up let's talk let's work this out what do i need to do but that's the process of teshuva literally transform the animal soul within us by understanding our triggers and getting to the root of them and releasing the trauma within them so that we're no longer triggered by certain things. We have the tools to do that. When I was growing up, I didn't know what good emotional health looked like. No one ever told me, this is what good emotional health looks like. So you, I was left to guess. I think most people in this position left to guess. If someone was feeling upset about something I did, it was obviously my fault. I'm, I'm the bad one here. I didn't understand what was my stuff, what was their stuff, what good boundaries are, how to hold them, how to say no and stay kind. I didn't know how to to make choices for myself. It was all a matter of just trying to survive in the world, just making sure that everyone was happy around me. No idea about where my space is and who I am and how can I express myself in the world authentically. It wasn't something that I was aware of or I was taught. And the result of that was that 
I didn't know when I could say yes, when I could say no. And I got myself in a lot of trouble because of that. A lot of pain I experienced because of that. If you have to change like a chameleon for every person you interact with, there's going to be a lot of shame, guilt, doubt, pain. Every soul, the divine soul, me of the animal soul, they both have the same structure. So they're both made of the same stuff. Now, each soul has got five levels to it. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, and Yechida. Okay? So, at this point, it has been established that each person contains two souls. But what is a soul? The soul is all the aspects of a person that are not material. The physical matter and tissue of the body is the material. All else is spiritual. So, the power of thought, all feelings, senses, hunger, thirst, space, awareness, self-awareness... The ability to move, breathe, see, hear, smell, taste, touch, laugh, cry, think, dream, be creative, understand and empathize. The life force, the power that keeps the heart beating, the digestive system digesting, the communications between all parts of the body through the nervous system. This is all spiritual. It's all soul. Our soul is not just a little golden egg in our chest. Our soul is a whole life force energy. It is. Yeah. But like as in like crying, like the physical tear. Yes. It still is also... But it's the emotion that creates a physical response yeah. in the body. Wow. So it's the soul that creates a physical response. So we can see the physical impact of our soul. So when I move my hands, you can see my hands moving, but it's not my physical hand that's moving, it's the soul within me that's moving my hand. It's like yeah. my soul is the driver and my body is the car. Yeah. So you want to say the car has a will of its own. If the driver's not there, the car's not going anywhere. Yeah. The animal soul and the divine soul both fight over the driver's seat. So you can't point to a physical space, something made out of matter, and say, this is a thought, this is a sense, this is a life force energy. It's true that every time a person thinks a thought, a neuropeptide is created in the brain, this is a molecule of communication. This thought sends the message through the nervous system to the whole body, so it knows how to respond to this thought. Yet the neuropeptide is not a thought. It is the effect of thinking, not the thought itself, or the cause of the thought. The same is true with all the functions listed above. So... You can see the physical impact of the soul on the body because when the soul experiences something, the body responds. And that's because of the nefesh aspect of the soul, which is completely enmeshed with the biology of the person. The nefesh is the biological soul. It's the warmth in the blood that makes the heart beat and the lungs breathe, as well as all the biological functions. It is completely integrated with the nervous system and organs. This is the part of the soul that experiences physical pain when the body is wounded. In Lakote Devarim, the Friedrich Rebbe speculates that this is perhaps the reason for phantom limb pain. He says that the soul can never be wounded, damaged, or incomplete in any way. Yet, the nefesh is integrated with the nervous system. And when a limb is amputated, the nefesh still remains intact and whole. And it still feels the pain as if the limb was still there. The nefesh fully integrates with the very matter and material of the body, making the body itself alive. So the nefesh is the life force energy of the biology of the soul. It's the lowest aspect of the soul. When I say lowest, it's the densest. It's the warmth of the blood, which is the vapor in the blood, because vapor being the most spiritual or physical things. It's physical, and you can see it, but it's also spiritual because it's not dense matter. And it's that warmth that is the most physical aspect of the soul. So then you have the ruach aspect of the soul. The ruach is the emotional soul, the capacity to feel emotions, mainly. Now, every time I'm going to tell you one of these, you, we also need to bear in mind that because this is the world of integration, 
within the nefesh, this nefesh of nefesh, nefesh of ruach, nefesh of neshama, nefesh of chaya, nefesh of yechidah. So you have the biology of the biology, you have the emotional aspect of the biology, you have the thought-through aspect yeah. of the biology, and, and so on. So mainly the ruach is the emotional soul, but then you have emotions, how they respond physically in our body, and then you have emotions, how they feel as just emotions, and then you have the intellectual aspect of emotions as well. The neshama is the intellectual soul. The capacity to think and understand logically. The word neshama shares the same root letters as the word neshima, which means breath. And perhaps this is because breathing deeper and slower regulates the nervous system and creates the possibility for a person to access this part of their soul. We begin our life just with our nefesh, and as we develop, we receive our ruach, and neshama comes in later on. The neshima, which is the breath, is what is so in- integral in regulating our nervous what do you system. What comes later? As we mature, there's different so opinions about when the neshama comes into the body. Some people say it only comes in if a person really works on themselves. And some people say at the age of like 20, when das comes into the body. Some people say a bar and bas mitzvah begins to come into the body. This aspect of the soul. So is it possible it never goes into the body? I think if a person is in an extremely fragmented state, perhaps it doesn't integrate into the body. Because out. because what I mean is that integrate. The nefesh, ruch, neshama, chay, and yechida are always connected. But we're talking about what is integrated within the body, as in what a person actually experiences. So I'm always experiencing my nefesh if I'm alive. And if I feel emotions, I'm experiencing my ruach. Mm. If I'm able to experience logical thought process, to be open and curious, if I'm able to integrate information and um, have compassion and empathy, I'm integrating my neshama. But there are certain ages that a person can't do that yet. Like a child finds logical thought process pretty difficult. They're more emotionally instinctive. If you tell them something and they don't like what you said, they'll go have a whole full-blown tantrum. Even if you logically try and explain it to them, that goes over yeah. their head. So we're talking here about how it takes a while to integrate that logical thought process. To be able to regulate the nervous system and to be able to see something from another perspective takes time. And to have access to your neshama, you need a regulated nervous system. And this is the connection between neshima, which means breath, and neshama. If we want to have access to our neshama, we need to breathe. The chaya aspect of the soul, the chaya can be described as a surrounding light. It doesn't surround in regards to space. It surrounds in the way that one doesn't have the tools to experience this aspect of one's being. For example, if a deaf person was sitting at a concert, they could be beautiful music all around them, yet they don't have the tools to absorb it, and therefore they don't experience it. This is what is meant by surrounding. It's a powerful divine energy that as a human one has little capacity to experience as the tools are lacking, yet it's still very much there and can be tapped into occasionally. This is the higher aspect of okay. the soul. The Echidah is the part of the soul that remains in Chachma'ila. The source and the place of the soul originates from before it went on the journey through the spiritual worlds to be embodied in the most concealed world. So we said that all souls begin in this place and it goes through a journey, a process to come down into the world. But there's a part of your soul that always remains in its source where it originally comes from. And that you can always access, tap into it because you're still connected to that place. The soul is completely spiritual. It is not bound by the laws of nature, time and space. It is not in one place more than any other. It's beyond measurement. When a baby is born, it is then that the soul becomes embodied, meaning part of the soul is now living in a world bound by laws of nature, time and space. And the experience of the soul becomes limited to the capacity of the tools of expression, which is the body. The soul primarily expresses itself in the brain. It is there that the power is felt more than any other. And from the brain, the appropriate powers are channeled through the appropriate vessels, i.e. the ears are the vessels or the tools for hearing, the eyes are the tools for seeing. Yet the power of hearing isn't in the ears, it is in the soul. And the ears are just the tool. 
And this is why it's possible for a person to hear through implants, which directly connect to the power of hearing in the brain. Okay. The power of the person is within the soul, which is expressing itself primarily through the brain. And then the brain channels different parts of its power to different parts of the body to be able to do different things. But if a part of the body or a tool is for some reason not functioning the way that it should, the brain has the capacity to channel that power through a different tool if the person has a different tool. It's definitely a tricky and difficult thing to do because we're talking here about the body being the vessel. And each part of the body is um, created perfectly to express that specific sense or that specific thing. And if that, the vessel has been taken away, the person has to then create another vessel. Now, the new vessel the person creates may not be as perfect as the original one. It may not be able to express itself as smoothly or as, as clearly. But what this point just emphasizes is all the powers of the soul that we described above, all the senses and all of those things are intact inside of the soul always. Yeah. So the soul isn't damaged and the soul isn't incomplete in any way. But it's the vessel, it's the body that is no longer able to be a, a channel for it. I'll give you an example of that. Let's say the soul is the sun and it's shining outside in the sky beautifully and you have a window. Now, the sunlight shines through the window and what is expressed inside of the house is sunlight. Now, if you take that window and you put a curtain there, so the sun is still shining beautifully outside. Nothing changed about the sun, but inside the house now it's dark. The soul is constant and the soul is whole, always. And the soul expresses itself through the channels and our physical body is a vessel. And if our physical body is this big, beautiful, complete window, so there'll be a lot of sunlight in the house. And if the window is very small or the window is very covered, you'll experience different types of light. And every single thing that is in this world, every single thing that exists, has a soul and a body that's relative to it. The physical matter of everything that exists is really just another vessel that is channeling a specific type of light. Depending on the type of vessel it is, will depend on the kind of light that's shining through it. That light is divine energy. So everything is expressing divine energy in the world. Something that is of the mineral kingdom, which is still life, channels a smaller amount of divine energy. They don't grow and they don't communicate and they don't move, but it's still enough divine energy to keep it in existence. Whereas plants, they have very limited forms of communication and they just grow, but they don't move from place to place. They're more subtle type of life force energy, but you still see the life force energy because you know when they're alive and you know when they're dead and you know when they grow and you see different aspects of them. Then an animal has even more life force energy because it can move from one place to another. And then the human beings is a whole nother life force energy. We have intellect, we have the capacity to think and make choices. So it's a part of the structure of creation is that everything that exists contains an outside and an inside. A body and a soul. Body being the tool of expression and is material. Soul being the spirit, the life force energy and the information that is to be expressed. There are four main categories of souls and bodies in this world. Human, animal, plants and minerals, inanimate objects. Everything possesses a soul, information and a body which is matter relative to its category. Even spiritual beings such as souls and angels possess a part of them that is more material and a part of them that is more spiritual relative to themselves. So everything has an outside and an inside. And even if you cut it in half, there's a new outside now and a new inside. And even if you cut that in half, there's always going to be a part that is more material, more spiritual, depending on whatever that, that is. The soul is vast. It is not limited by its vessels, though it is expressed through them. The light of the soul in relation to the body is a bit like sun coming through the window of a house. The sun remains the sun, untouched by how many windows one has. 
if one has ten windows, the same sun shines as if one has five. One experiences less light if they have less windows, but this in no way expresses how much light exists. So just because one cannot perceive it, it does not mean that it is not there. So too, the soul is a vast light, information, life, energy, emotion and thought, and it is expressing itself through the body, the limbs and the ten spheres, which we're going to talk about in a minute. At the beginning of creation, Hashem created a structure of ten tools or channels, ten different ways of expressing himself, and it is this structure that he used to create all things. And from the spiritual world down to this world, the most material of all, these ten tools are called the ten spheres, the ten different types of energies in ten different ways that God used to channel specific light to come into the world. Now, we spoke about how there was insight, there was infinite potential, but nothing in actuality. And in order for Hashem to create actual material matter, a world to actually express something, then there needs to be a process of channeling the light of infinite potential into this thing. So if you take, for example, the concept of DNA, a fertilized egg before it becomes a baby, it contains the DNA of the entire child. Now through the process of pregnancy, slowly that cluster of cells becomes a brain, it becomes a heart, it takes time for it to expand. And then you have the feet and the arms, the legs, you express the whole thing in actuality, but every single cell in that being actually contains the information of the whole thing. Every single cell in your body, a skin cell, for example, has the DNA of your entire body. The insight was all information, and Hashem began by creating specific channels to create a world. A world basically means a structure of how something runs, how it functions. There's laws, there's nature. The ten spheres are basically the building blocks for this entire structure of all the spiritual worlds as well as the physical worlds. We're going to learn about what the ten spheres are also because these ten spheres are the structure of the soul. So we said so far that the soul has five levels to it. Nefesh, Ruch, Neshama, Chai, Nechida. And with each of those, there's Nefesh of Nefesh, Nefesh of Ruch, Nefesh of Chai, and Nefesh of Echida all the way through. And then within each level, nefesh of nefesh has got ten spheres, nefesh of ruach has got ten spheres, and with each of those ten spheres, you've got, you've got ten, those ten spheres, so you have chesed of chesed, chesed of gevurah. It's so integrated, and there's so many details to it, but we're just learning the basic ideas, and then everything integrates into everything in different ways. So the, the ten spheres are chachma bina das, chesed gevurah teferes, netzach hoid yusoid amalchas. Those are the ten spheres. Now they are split into two categories. They are called the three parents and the seven children. The three parents are the three intellectual faculties, the three different ways of thinking, and the three children are seven different ways of feeling their emotions. It takes a lot of English words to describe what actually one Hebrew word means. So we're going to keep using the Hebrew words, but we're going to have to understand them in depth, understand what we're talking about first. So each sphere is a multidimensional energy or power. So... We'll begin with chachma, which is curiosity, a state of mind where one is open and empty, ready to receive without preconceived notions, just curious, wondering, open. The Hebrew word chachma is made up of two small words, koyach ma, which literally means the power of what? It's the ability to hear something completely new. Just wow, what is this? And to be open to receive downloads of information. So any spark of genius so, so that like comes to a person. Moment. Yeah, light bulb moment. When a person's in an open state of curiosity, insight comes to them. Mm. And we're going to learn about why this happens in a state of Chochmah as we go along. Because Chochmah is actually a window that opens you up to infinity. And therefore, any information is available for you in that state. And you can have an insight or a creative idea. Or when you, you know something, but like you can't really explain it yet. That's Chachma, the aspect of the brain that's Chachma. So it's the is capacity. Is that part of the brain? 
you could say that it is it's more right brain because it's more creative but it's also part of the prefrontal cortex as well so you have to be in a regulated state it's it's not yeah it's spiritual so it's not it's not it's more as we said it's more expressed in the right side of the brain and the prefrontal cortex but it's not bound by that okay so it's a capacity for one to stand back and watch something in wonder to witness with an open heart it is the part of the soul that is able to feel and experience complete oneness with Hashem in creation because it is a window into infinity, therefore not bound by time and space. And when in this state of mind, one can feel like they lose track of time, time and space perception alters. And this is what's also known as the flow state. In this curious and creative space, one receives moments of inspiration, otherwise known as eureka moments or a stroke of genius and insight. You can say it's when one gets a concept. They know that they have it all in their head but they can't explain it to someone else yet. It could also be, for example, when one goes to a class and feels totally inspired by what they've learned, but then when someone asks them, what did you learn? They're like, I have no idea. They can't say it. Right? That's, it's, like it's, it's the information is still in your chachma. Yeah, because also it takes time to process yes. it. And then... Yes, yes. So it is a creative inspiration before it's fully expressed into words. It's a it's great like idea. classes ago, you were saying that that thought is much more spiritual than speech because yeah. it's more expanded yeah. and that you can't put thought through words in the mouth. Yeah, you're greatly limiting everything you're thinking to find a word to express. Yeah. But, but then you're also communicating it. So you're, you're taking it from being hidden to being more, more revealed, which has a massive, which is a massive value to that. But at the same time, you are not expressing even a tiny drop of what actually went on in your head. The depth and the feeling and the color and the energy that you experienced in your mind. You downgrade it completely, but you reveal it. So this is also how Hashem created the world. He downgraded completely. This is what we call symptom. Completely downgraded himself and expressed himself in language. He created the world through speech. Yeah. To, to say, let there be a structure. He's completely diminished himself. The infinite capacity and possibilities. But again, it's a one-way system. From God's perspective, he didn't diminish himself in any ways. He just created a lot of one-way mirrors that we're looking through. So we experience separateness consciousness, but God does not. Right. So he's right here as if none of this structure was created. He's completely present in the same way before he created the structure and after he created the structure. This structure is for us to be able to experience ourselves. We need to experience ourselves as separate. God has to be completely concealed from us in order for us to experience ourselves and work on ourselves and develop who we are. So we experience a world where everything is separate from everything else. Really, everything is one unified field of energy, but we don't, we don't experience it like that. That's in order to give us the capacity to develop and work on ourselves and have choice. So, so basically, this is Chochmah. Chochmah is this open, expansive flow space. Chochmah is a great place to begin if a person wants to heal any kind of fragmented emotions within themselves. Just to look at the emotions and say, wow, what's going on inside of me? Gosh, there's chaos, panic and fear going on over there. To watch it, to watch it with curiosity. Okay, Bina. Bina, this is the ability to take the insight of Chachman and expand it. Bina allows one to teach the insight, to understand it fully in all its details, its breadth and its depth. It's the ability to derive one thing from another, to comprehend it in its entirety and then express it. So Bina is the logical thinking process, really getting it down pat. So this and then this and then this is all logical thought is Bina. Das is the ability to fully integrate the idea until it becomes a felt sense in the body becoming a part of the person, who they are versus what they know. So this is a huge, huge step. There's a lot of things we know in Abina can teach someone something, but if you're not living what you teach or what you know, you have not dasked the information, you haven't integrated the information. 
When one deeply knows something, it impacts their immune system and their body. It becomes a part of the nefesh or the DNA, the cellular memory of the person. This felt recognition is achieved by chewing over or contemplating ideas from many angles until all parts of one's psyche get it and then really fully feel it and integrate it. Das bridges the intellect and the emotions. It sees the whole picture and hears all of the parts. It is the source of compassion or empathy and one's ability to see other perspectives. Das is also one's self-awareness and the source of one's capacity to know oneself and for free choice. For a person to actually choose how one wants to respond. It is the inner capacity for connection and integration with a person, an idea or an object. And we spoke about what integration is, like really feeling it, really experiencing it. The beginning of integration is first curiosity. Yes. Right. So, so Chachma yeah. must come first. We yeah. need all of the three. First we, need, first, we need to be open to hearing something. Then we need to logically understand it. Then we need to dust it. We need to integrate the information and fully yeah, see yeah. how does this apply practically to my yeah. life and what would this feel like if I really knew this. Chachma and Bina, the mother and father, the baby the, is the emotions. That we're the emotions. Yeah, yeah. But da, das is the union. It's the conception and the gestation. It's a, it's a pregnancy process. So it's the process of developing and it takes time. Once the baby is conceived to when it's able to actually be born, emotion is the child. The emotions are our inner children. But the more I understand something and the more I integrate the idea, the more I have an emotion based on it. So if I really get a concept and I really integrate it, I'll, I'll experience an emotion based on what I know. If I just know something and it's dry, cold logic, it doesn't affect the way I feel, then I haven't really dust it. Mm-hmm. When it affects the way I feel about things, and I've really embodied that, so then I can say I've used my dust, I've really integrated this idea, it's now become an emotion within me. And this is why it says that Adam Niyuchava uses the word das, and das implies attachment and union. That is, one strongly binds and very firmly fixes his mind on the greatness of Hashem. For even one who is wise and understanding of the greatness of Hashem will not, unless he binds his knowledge and fixes his thought with firmness and perseverance, produce in his soul a true love and awe of Hashem, but only vain fancies. Therefore, das is the basis of the midas emotions and the source of their vitality with the divine soul. So if the divine soul begins in the brain, it begins with information. If I want to have emotions from my divine soul, I have to use my das. I might know about the greatness of Hashem. I might learn about it. Great, wonderful. But until I really integrate the information, I have to really use my das and chew over the information and think about it a lot in depth. And how, does this, how is this relevant for my life? And in all the details of my life, how does it fit in and to the point where I actually experience an emotion and actually experience an, a love and an awe in my heart of understanding Hashem. So this is the divine soul um, experience now the animal soul experience we said it begins in the heart as emotions without logic so i may just feel an instinctive response to something without me having actually thought about it or understanding it logically the animal soul also have it does but it's developed afterwards in a person i'm more curious about somatic yeah somatic pain so is that all animal soul Well, somatic pain is actually a physical experience in the body and you can interpret it to mean one of two things. You can either breathe through the pain and hold the pain and experience the pain with compassion on yourself and a regulated nervous system, or you can experience the pain and translate it to mean, I mean, danger, and then go into full-blown defensive protective mode and lose touch with your prefrontal cortex. Let's say, for example, a person has physical pain in the body that there is no physical reason like they've had an x-ray and they've checked it out and there's no physical reason for the pain a lot of times this is actually emotional mm. stuff stuck in the body and 
body is expressing the emotion through physical. Now, when a person experiences a very strong emotion in the body, they do experience it physically. Let's say, for example, self-hate. It literally, if a person, if you remember a time when you ever felt self-hate, it literally feels like there's like a dagger being stabbed into your heart. It's a strong, very powerful physical experience, even though it's an emotion. And you can't say it's here or this specific place. Now, just you just take that a little bit deeper. If a person doesn't want to feel the self-hate or acknowledge it, it can actually become inflamed nerves, physical experience in the body, and a holding place for that emotion. A lot of times when you actually tap into the emotion, you can actually then allow it to shift and change and move from a stuck place. It can leave the body if you get in touch with it. If you get in touch with it. Yeah. But even like anger, the science now shows... Yeah that comes from the liver. Our emotions affect our body and our body affects our emotions. It's a, a feedback loop from each other. But what other. I'm asking is, is somatic pain all from the animals? Yeah, the reason why somatic pain is animal soul consciousness is because I, I'm afraid of the pain. I don't want to experience the pain. Why am I afraid of the pain? Because of something in the animal soul, I either feel like the pain is going to kill me or I feel the pain is bad or it means I'm bad if I feel pain. It's a separateness consciousness. It's a part of the fragmented consciousness. This guy, um, Ron Kurtz, wrote in his book, Body Psychotherapy. So he describes the cause of all psychological pain. So the primal and most destructive illusion is the false distinction between self and other. Self here doesn't even mean you're a person or a body or anything like that. It means you perceive and live a basic separateness. This is the primal lie. This is the primary clipper, the separate, everything is separate. And when you're in that state of everything is separate, he says that we see each other as separate objects because we see through eyes and all senses are encoders. So these encoders give us the information that everything is separate. And because we have learned to think of ourselves and others this way, the big break comes when we decide that we are separate. We further then separate ourselves between mind and body and then mind itself splits into pieces. So when I make a separation between my mind and my body, then basically it's a further fragmentation. So my body's experiencing pain, but that's nothing to do with my emotions. That keeps it stuck in that place. But if I recognize that it's actually a physical expression of an emotion I'm experiencing, I go in and I get curious and I, and I connect and integrate the emotion, I'll experience the physical pain leaving. And then the drive to unite is the healing force. The process of communication organizes parts into holes, and that's the healing, communicating between the different parts of myself. We embrace unity when we bring attention to aspects of ourselves and others that are in isolation and com conflict. We embrace it when our way is acceptance and curiosity, when our goal is to bring together all aspects of the person, mind-mind, mind-body, self-universe. When we know as part of our being that we are connected to each other and this world, that knowing is the healing power of this work, this concept of connection. Now, I'll just give you an example of the time when I did this work. I had actually a physical infection. I had mastitis, so I was in a lot of pain and my body had high fever. And I was trying to fill into the infection, what emotion was I experiencing? And the emotion that I just felt the strongest was fear. And so I just connected with the fear, breathed through it, gave myself permission to let go of it and just move into the arms of the unknown. And I did that for about half an hour, just breathing, physically feeling the pain, breathing air into it, acknowledging the fear and letting it go. About half an hour, and then I started feeling physical movements inside that part of my body. Within 24 hours, the infection left my body, and I didn't take anything for it. And I'd done that a couple of times with different things, but that was my most powerful experience of it at the time. It was a real physical experience of a real physical dis-ease dis in my body that I was able to remove from my body just by doing emotional work on it without doing anything else. Sound like airy-fairy, but 
but it is it is literally the truth. Yeah, it's what I experienced. I know, but if you tell that to somebody else, yeah. like, oh, don't be stupid, take antibiotics. Exactly, that's what everyone around me was telling. Just, In that place of separateness consciousness, everything is separate. So if a person has an illness, like a heart disease, you treat the heart disease with heart pills. Now, if those heart pills have an effect on the liver, so you treat the liver with liver pills. Western medicine is very, very good with emergency medicine, and it's very important for actually keeping people alive. But there's certain ways that Western medicine treats chronic conditions that doesn't actually help the chronic conditions. Certain medications then wreak havoc in other parts of the body, and then the person goes on a spiral of deterioration. It doesn't promote their health. It actually just causes more disintegration. A lot of times, for example, someone can go to acupuncture, which is the science of moving energy around the body and moving stuck emotions, and just start crying, and they're like, I don't know why I'm crying. (laughs) Just like... Feldenkrais the same. Yeah, exactly. Feldenkrais and all of these things, because Feldenkrais is is a process of creating communication and connection between parts of your body, so is acupuncture. It's just about taking away the blocks so all the energy can flow once again, because the energy in the body wants to flow. It's not a static thing. But whenever you take something and you isolate it, you take it out of the context, you create like a blocked emotion somewhere in your body. It creates a block in the energy flow. Also triggers are also animal soul source. Yes. If a person is triggered, as in they're in a state of panic and fear, it is animal soul consciousness because, and most of our triggers and all animal soul consciousness is fear-based. I'll take a pill to take care of my heart problem. I'll take a pill to take care of my digestive problem. But what if the pill that I'm taking for my heart is actually causing my digestive issues. Then I need to start rethinking things, but if I just think, I'll take this, and I'll take this, and I'll take this, and I'll, I'm basically just ripping my body into more pieces, and I'm becoming more fragmented. Emotionally as well, we do it with parts of ourselves. We like parts of ourselves we don't like. I hate you, you go away, the exiled parts. Then I'll just live as a manager, I'll have a certain persona that I show to the world. The whole world is filled with separateness consciousness. This whole world is a separateness consciousness existence. And in order for us to see the unity amongst all things, we have to become more deeply spiritual and and tapped into that. We have to learn about it. And we have to choose to think about it and feel it. And we have to choose to act on it. A lot of people know stuff and they haven't integrated it. Being it could be external information and DAS is really making it internal. And once it becomes an emotion, it becomes extremely relevant. It becomes who you are. Your emotions are literally your experience of yourself. So it really shifts everything, but it's something that we struggle with. I think that Rabbi um, Soloveitchik said the biggest distance to travel in the world is from the head to the heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This idea of really integrating an idea takes time to process. For example, I could tell you, you're living in separateness consciousness, move into unity consciousness and everything will fall into place and you'll feel great. <laughs> but that doesn't actually help the person to shift to change their life. That's the whole concept of therapy. It's a very slow process of Actually, what would that mean for me? What would my fears be if I actually did that? Thinking it through, like, okay, let's say I did see things within these new glasses, but I'm afraid of, of this. Okay, so what would happen if you just looked at your fear, if you got curious about your fear? I could tell you that you need to get from point A to point B. But the process of getting from point A to point B takes a lot of time and a lot of integration and a lot of processing and chewing over. And how does this apply to me? Facing this, what is this I'm so afraid of? So let's say, for example, what would it mean for me to experience the world through understanding that every single thing is a soul. So everything I interact with is an expression of Hashem. How would I experience the world differently if I knew that? Yeah. To really think about it, like what, would, what might I feel? What might I feel? Just think about it for a second. What might you feel if you experience the world through the awareness that every single thing is just another expression of divine energy? Wherever you are, you're in contact with divine energy, whatever that divine energy is.
whether it's a table, a cup, drinking water, writing with a pen, this is just all expressions of divine energy. But you, there's still though that, that like thought process, like this between the heart and the mind where you're yeah. like, so I know it to be true. So you need to integrate it by yeah. really thinking about it, by every single time you interact with something or even just for the next week, three or four times a day when you're holding something in your hand, just become present with connecting with the concept of uh, this thing I'm holding, feeling, is divine energy expressing itself in this way. Just that thought process four or five times a day for a course of a week will shift the way that you see the yeah. world. Das is, the, is, is a part of the prefrontal cortex that allows a person to integrate information. It's not an emotion yet. It gives birth to emotions. Mm. We're going to learn about the emotions next week because we've run out of time. But then there's seven emotions and we'll talk about what those emotions are. When a person is really not self-aware at all, they don't even know that they're not self-aware. They'll be in pain. I'll tell you why they'll be, on, be in pain because a lot of things will not go their way. The natural instinct of a person who is not self-aware will blame. And blame is a discharge of responsibility. I either move into victim mode or I become the bully. I feel angry and hurt. Why did she do that? What's wrong with her? And there's a lot of internal pain that comes from experience like that. And a person who's not living in, in, in self-awareness doesn't understand how they're being an accomplice in this experience. I was recently talking to someone who was telling me about someone in their life that was constantly bitter and in a lot of pain around the fact that no one ever helped her. She would be busy in the kitchen, preparing all the meals, and so upset and so angry that like, no one ever helps. But when someone comes and offers help, she says no. So it's this double bind. I'm the martyr, and I'm the only one who's doing it, and I'll make everyone guilty for not helping me, but if you come and ask me for help, I'll say no. Now that is no self-awareness. She is in a lot of pain all of the time, and feeling very bitter, but she is, does not have the self-awareness that she's actually causing this pain that she's in. Then it's not blessed. It's not blessed. <laughs> it's not a disproportionate reaction. It can be. Do you it know why be. it can it's, be? Because I'm right and they're wrong. So exactly. I have a sense of validation. Because you exile these emotions. Yeah. yeah and, emotions. and you're just living in this life of, I mean, it's separateness. It's real separateness because you're only thinking about yourself. <laughs> With victimhood comes a sense of validation. So that's why people stay there. Because I at least feel good. I'm the right one. I'm the good one. I'm doing everything good. And poor me, nobody's helping me. Yeah. That gives a person a sense of safety and a sense yeah. of validation, even though it's extremely painful. Very, very hard to have a conversation with someone like that. A lot of times we call that borderline personality. Because borderline personality is the experience of, I'm constantly in fear, so I constantly have to defend myself or protect myself. Yeah. Or any other mental illness, say narcissistic personality disorder, it's really just a symptom of such a fragmented sense of self, such low self-worth, such fear and panic. I can't even begin to think about that. I'm just thinking about protecting myself and yeah. constantly in that state. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you've got open-hearted, vulnerable, loving, connected experience of the world and have to have a lot of confidence and, and feelings of I am valuable as I am, I'm worthy as I am in order for me to, be, to feel comfortable on that end of the spectrum. So one end of the spectrum is I, I have such a fragmented sense of self and I experience myself as literally nothing and nobody and therefore I have a huge amounts of defenses and protections and fears and also those protections and those fears are my safety. Or I, I let go completely of trying to control things because I, I have an internal sense of stability in the sense that I, I am a vessel which is channeling divine light of love and joy and expansion in the world and that's who I am. And therefore, if you don't like my opinion, that's okay. That's interesting. Tell me about it. What is it about my opinion you don't like? Let's have a curious and open conversation. I don't need to defend myself or excuse myself to you. This is what I think. Oh, you don't think that way? Let's talk about it. Rather than it being, you're wrong, but I'm right. That kind of thing. 
Yeah. And and most people find themselves somewhere in the spectrum in the middle. And in different situations, we feel either more defended or more open, depending on how safe we experience ourselves to be internally. The, the more open we are, the more we are available to grow and to learn and to shift and to change. And we become evolving people and we can actually transform ourselves throughout our lives. Whereas on the other side of the spectrum where it's fear, we become extremely, extremely stuck. So the difference between being in a state of ice versus being in a state of vapor. You can have a person who's literally in a state of ice, very trapped, very, very stuck, very solid, very still, very rigid. And then the more you move to the other end of the spectrum, the more expanded and flowing and air we can breathe and the more free we feel and the more expanded we feel. And that's basically our, our choice. The more regulated we are, the more we understand this information, the more integrated we become, the more we're able to move to that side.